Hi there, sharks and guppies. Before we get started with this video, I want to tell you about the Halloween sale we are having. But first, guess who I'm going to be for Halloween? You want a hint? Things not on straight at all. If you're the parent of a toddler, you should know who I am. No, not a construction worker. I am Rubble, the dog with the giant drill from Paw Patrol. <sighs> no more ghosts, ghouls, and zombies, just rubble from Paw Patrol. I'm going to be spending most of my time studying at PokerCoaching.com, digging with the drill, demolishing the competition, and studying a lot. And I recommend you do the same thing. We have a big sale going on right now at PokerCoaching.com slash Halloween. So make sure you make the most of it. Enjoy the video. Hello everyone, I'm Jonathan Little here with another episode of Weekly Poker Hand. Today, we are going through the $10,000 buy-in GG Poker Millions final table, and we have a fun little spot for you. GG Poker features a very flat payout structure. Do I have a screenshot somewhere? I should. Where is it? Here it is. We have a screenshot of the final table payouts. Spoiler alert, I'm telling you who won. Doesn't really matter. As you can see here, though, Seventh place, which is where we currently are, gets paid 83,000. Next person out gets paid 104, then 132, then 167, then 210, 265, and 235. These may sound like giant numbers, but in reality, second place is, um, I'm not going to say almost as much as first, but actually almost as much as first. You're highly incentivized with a flat payout structure to not go broke because you slowly chip up the payout ladder and the payout jumps you get are substantial. Imagine it was winner take all, for example, and first place was a million dollars and everyone else got paid nothing. Well, then there's no benefit at all of moving up the payout ladder, right? So as the payout structure is flatter and flatter, as this particular tournament on GG is, and as some main events and various live local tournaments are, you're very incentivized to play kind of cautious and move up the payout ladder. So keeping that in mind, let's take a look at this exact scenario. Upswinger here is the short stack with about eight big blinds. Not where you want to be, but sometimes where you find yourself. Look around the table, though. We have one very big stack in ducks on the button. 64,000 chips playing 30,000, 60,000, so about 60 big blinds. The three players to his right are all playing, well, sorry, these three players are all playing about 20 to 25 big blinds deep in the, I suppose this is um, under the gun plus one, in the cutoff, or the hijack, and in the cutoff. These players are all very incentivized to be tight because they want to collect that free payout jump. When you are the 25 big blind stack or 20 big blind stack, when someone else has six, seven, eight, nine, something like that, you should be super nitty and you should make a point to avoid scenarios where you have to call off for all of your chips. Okay? So, keeping that in mind, let's move forward. Folds round to the cutoff with ace king with 22 big blinds. Cool spot where obviously you're going to play the hand, ace-king is great. You're certainly not trying to fold. But you have to ask, if I raise here, am I likely to get re-raised slash jammed on? Now, it's an interesting spot because ducks on the button actually can't just rip it all in because he has to worry about the two players in the blinds who both have 40 big blinds and 50 big blinds, right? It'd be a gigantic shove for ducks. Ducks also doesn't want to three bet and then have to fold to a shove. And you have to presume... MRDL, when he opens it up, is going to have a much stronger than normal range, usually with something like an ace blocker if he is bluffing. That's usually the good GTO strategy. So ducks can't get too insane here. So that's a good reason for MRDL to raise. 
But then the two players yet to act in the small blind with 50 big blinds and the big blind with 40 big blinds, they both have really good spots to just shove it all in. You can definitely shove for 40 big blinds when you're in the small blind, but when you have 50, because the player in the big blind is going to be highly disincentivized to play. And if the small blind folds, the big blind is going to be pretty incentivized to shove because the initial cutoff raiser has to be very cautious because of the nine big blind or eight big blind stack over here in ump swinger and these other two relatively comparable stacks with 20, 25 big blinds. Okay, so this is a spot where this ace-king very easily could just be an all-in. Why would it be an all-in, you may ask? Because if you raise and get jammed on, it's actually very close to a fold. Let's take a look at what happens in this hand. Ducks folds. Small blind also is going to fold king-4 suited, which is, you know, a hand that could conceivably get after it, but it doesn't. And then Mark in the big blind has pocket queens. Seems like a reasonable spot to shove. This may be a scenario where you could even re-raise small with the idea that you're trying to induce a bluff, but I think you probably just want to jam it all in because um, you don't really care if um, MRDL folds out of hand like ASEX suited or whatnot, which is going to be a lot of his raising range here. Uh, maybe you are still just supposed to 3-bet small to like 380 to induce a bluff from Ace-5 suited, though. That's probably okay. Queens are great. Queens are great. That said, gets over to Mark. He gives it some thought. We'll fast forward a bit and he jams. Fine. Fine, fine, good, easy poker. Okay, now, should Ace-King call? What do you think? Take a second, pause the video, and write in the comment section below, down there, if you would call or fold with the Ace-King in this scenario. Again, we don't know Mark has pocket queens. He's going to have some bluffs. What do we do with the Ace-King in this spot? Call or fold? It's actually closer than you may think. I ran this through a program called ICMizer. You can check it out at jlpoker.com ICM. And running this scenario, Ace-King is actually, assuming Mark is playing the perfect GTO strategy, which maybe he is, maybe he isn't. We'll take a look at that in a second. But assuming Mark's playing the perfect GTO strategy, Ace-King is basically break-even. Any hand in green, you should probably call off. Jacks, queens, kings, aces, and ace-king suited. Ace-queen suited is pretty clearly a fold. Ace-king offsuit, barely break even. Tens would perhaps not even be in your range because you'd open jam at preflop. Maybe you don't even play it in this scenario. No, you would play it here. You'd play it. So let's take a look at some assumptions I made here. I made the assumption, well, the ICMizer program made the assumption that Mark is going to jam all of these hands in green. If you're listening to this, Check out youtube.com slash poker coaching. You can see all the hands in green. This includes a lot of very close to break-even hands like small and medium pairs. It includes hands like king five suited. Includes hands like king jack suited, ace jack offsuit, ace five offsuit. Notice a lot of these hands though are very, very break-even. And I'm going to make the big assumption here that Mark is not jamming all these hands that are very, very break-even. All these hands that are very, very break-even are probably just calling or folding. Okay? This program is um, perhaps not... 100% optimal to analyze these scenarios because obviously Mark's going to call some hands. Like, for example, you really want to jam the king seven suited when you can call it? Probably not, right? Um, this just shows the hands that are potentially profitable to shove, assuming the initial raiser is raising super nitty, as he should be. Like I said, the initial raiser should be super nitty in these scenarios. Now, of course, this may not be the range he's actually playing. He may be playing a different range. Anyway... Presuming that, 
big blind should be jamming very tight. So what you want to do when you're analyzing these spots is you want to look at this scenario and say, if the opponent is jamming this range, ace-king is basically break-even. Do you want to make a basically break-even call? Not really. Okay, so is the opponent jamming wider than this? Or are they jamming tighter than this? If they're jamming wider than this, ace-king is going to become a more profitable call. If they're jamming tighter than this, which is probably the case, then ace-king becomes a very unprofitable call. And I have to presume some of these hands that are showing as an all-in, like maybe king-jack suited, maybe ace-jack offsuit, maybe king-queen offsuit, definitely 7-6 suited, definitely 5-4 suited, probably ace-5 offsuit, king-5 suited. A lot of these hands are not going to shove. So because those are not going to shove, this is probably just a fold. But you don't want to go around raised folding the ace-king, right? Which is why you're probably just better off ripping it all-in preflop to avoid this scenario. And you may say, doesn't that result in you just playing really, really tight? Yeah, it does. In final tables where the payout structure is very flat, and let me find that image I had pulled up. Remember, payout structure is very, very flat. You are highly incentivized to just collect the next payout jump. Sit there, be tight, collect the next payout jump over and over and over. And you may say, doesn't that let ducks have a really good chance to win as the big stack? Yeah, it does. And everyone else is going to get some amount of money that is um, similar enough to first place by just sitting here and being tight and not calling it off in scenarios like this. But because you don't want to raise fold this, and you should expect to face some aggression sometimes by bluffs, you probably just want to rip it in immediately for your 20 big blind stack. It's a gross spot, but I don't really see any other good option. Anyway, he gives it a very long amount of thought. Very, very long amount of thought. What would you have done? Would you have called? Feels pretty nasty to fold the ace-king here. By the way, if we go back over here to ICMizer before we show what happens, some of these hands that are very reasonable shoves are like all the ace-x suiteds, which is something you have to consider, right? You're actually dominating a lot of the hands that should shove here, that, that could very reasonably shove here. And you may say, why would why are the ace-x suited shoving so much? It's because they block MRDL's raise call off range, right? His raise call off range is going to be a lot of aces and ace-king and ace-king suited, right? So when you have an ace in your hand, you get to shove essentially as a bluff because you block his calling range. Anyway, Ace-King's a tough spot, basically break-even. You probably don't want to call off basically break-even unless... When should you call off break-even or less? Take a second, think about it. When should you make a call that you know is un unprofitable immediately? Probably two answers to this. I think you're going to get one. I don't think you're going to get the second. The second's a little bit of hypothetical. So, okay, so the times you should call here, knowing you're losing a little bit of money, is when you think you're worse than your opponent's. If you're sitting here and you're a, normally a $100 buy-in tournament player and you final table this $10,000 buy-in tournament on GG, you should probably call knowing you're making a slightly unprofitable call because this may be the best spot you get. If Ace-King is basically break-even, maybe losing a tiny bit of money, that's actually not all that bad if you expect future scenarios to generally be worse. That's a really important time to call. And sometimes that may happen for you. Like imagine you satellite your way into a big tournament, you get to the final table, you think you have roughly a break-even spot, if you have no edge or disadvantage, break-even is way better than a disadvantage in the future, right? So that's be a scenario where you should definitely call it off. The other time is when you will all of a sudden have a much better chance to actually win the tournament. That's not the case in this scenario for um, MRDL because if MRDL doubles up here, he goes up to 2.5 million chips, sure, or 2.7 million chips, whatever it is, but notice he's still out of position against these two big stacks. So even if MRDL doubles up here, it's not actually that great. 
he's going to nowhere near double his equity in the tournament because he's out of position against the two big stacks who can continue applying aggression to him. But interestingly enough, if he was sitting over here in the Ray guy's seat, assuming all ranges was, were the same, now he's going to be in position against the two big stacks who are going to be opening slightly wide because they're the big stacks, right? Which is going to give, if he was in the Ray guy's seat, a much better chance to play pots in position against wide ranges. So right here, I think MRDL should be very inclined to not call, assuming he's a world-class player and he's going to be out of position against the two big stacks. But if he was in the Ray guy's seat, or you know somehow he's in Mark's seat directly in position against the two big stacks, then I think that is a fantastic spot to call in the break-even spot because then you're going to be in position against the two big stacks and have a really good shot to win chips from them. It's important to realize that chips flow to the left in No Limit Hold'em. So... In this scenario, MRDL is going to lose to the people on his left, who is Dux and R. Romashka, the two big stacks. And he's going to be winning pots from the people on his right, the two shallower stacks, right? So this is a very bad seat for MRDL. So he just kind of wants to hang out and ladder up. But if he was in the Ray guy's seat, or in Mark's seat here, then he could win big pots from people on his right and lose pots to the shallow stacks on his left, which is perfect. So your seat at the table should actually influence you quite a lot when it comes to making calls like this because if you call and win and you have position on the big stacks you're actually pretty likely to win the tournament whereas if you're out of position it's not actually all that advantageous so if anything right here i think mrdl should probably find the fold let's see what he does he thought for a very long time but that's fine and then he folds got out of the way how did he do how did he do in this tournament did he collect a ladder let's see he did not <laughs> out next in seventh place bad beat. That's me for today. If you enjoyed this video, do me a quick favor. Click the like and subscribe buttons below. And also, if I've helped you get good at poker, tell one of your friends. I know you may not want to help your poker friends get better, but if you know someone who loves poker, but they're not winning, they're struggling, they want to get good, help them out a little bit. Tell them about the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash poker coaching. Thank you. Have a great week. Thanks for being here. And I hope you run very, very hot. I hope you enjoyed this video. Please click the like and subscribe button. And also make sure you make the most of the big sale I'm having at pokercoaching.com for Halloween. Check it out at pokercoaching.com slash Halloween. Have a great day. Yeah, I'm talking to you.